What's going on, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Red Card Report podcast. This is episode 96. I am your host, Rui Dos Santos, and we got a great episode for you today. And as you can tell, jobless Joe Cappuccino is not with us tonight, but the other third of the Red Card Report podcast is with me tonight, and that is Eddie Baptista. How are you, man? It's the other two thirds. I mean, shit is pretty much the other nine tenths. Joe yeah. is just the the ten percent, Mister Bienvenuti. Bien, <laughs> Bienvenido. Welcomen. Welcomen. Anyway, Joe, sorry you couldn't be here. He, he he probably had to go record a podcast with the Juventino, the Juventini group. Yeah, Joe's. Uh, I don't know job hunting, working for another podcast, tweeting all day. We don't even know where Joe's at, but he's not Drinking here. And it's almond milk cappuccinos, JJ, cool Joe. <laughs> With the pineapple pizza. Poor yeah. Joe. Poor Joe. But Eddie. Uh, What's up? No Joe Cappuccino, but. It's all right. Two thirds of the podcast is here, and actually, we got a pretty exciting. It's actually a long time coming. It's been a while since we've recorded anything. We've, We're like we've been trying to record a few episodes. We try to record the uh, Man City, Man United episode. We try to record the Derby de la Meronina uh, episode. Didn't work out. It's yeah. been a shit show. But guys, rest assured, we here. We got a good show tonight. I'm excited to finally be able to record again. <laughs> I know, man. We're like uh, as consistent and uh, as efficient as a Juventus season. So we gotta we gotta turn it up a notch, man. We gotta finish we gotta finish this twenty twenty one year strong. And obviously, we had some technical difficulties as well uh, in recent weeks, as the reasons why we haven't recorded or put anything out. But uh, this episode's gonna be uh, a, a bit different. Well, let's uh, jump into uh, the Ballon d'Or that was. Um, announced earlier this week, I think it was on Monday, Lionel Messi winning his seventh Ballon d'Or, which is a record surpassing his own, where he had six. Eddie, uh, there's a lot of talk. Lewandowski finished in second, yeah. Jorginho finished in third, and Golo Kante uh, was uh, thrown in there. Karim Benzema, Cristiano Ronaldo, I think, was uh, in sixth. I don't know. Uh, what What are your thoughts on this? I, you know, Messi should have walked on stage, you know, wearing Balotelli's shirt that said, why always me? And it's just, I can't say that I'm surprised that he, that he walked away with this prize because, you know, he is, you know, one of our best, if not the best player of our generation. But you know what? You can't take away from Robert Lewandowski. He had 64 goals last season, 10 assists. And, you know, it's hard to compare stats, you know, Messi against Lewandowski, two different positions, two different, you know, styles of play. Uh, but for what Lewandowski did last year, and unfortunately the competition was was canceled last year, uh, so there was no Ballon d'Or. But 
you know, had there been a, a, a competition, I do think that Lewandowski would have would have won it. You know, taking home the Champions League with Bayern Munich with a mm. dominant performance over PSG in that final. I just think that you know he has just flourished even more in his game, risen up to another level which we 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 were not expecting. He is so dominant. He has a prowess in the box that is just so inventive uh, as we've seen the goals that he's scored in champions league he's getting those numbers up and it's just it's hard to argue you know why he shouldn't have gotten it but when you put Messi, you know side by side next to him you know you, you kind of shrug your shoulders and say well it is messy so i think he suffered from the messy effect but he's going to go down in history as one of those guys that got snubbed like we know from the past uh as we know like Schneider has gotten snubbed or uh, Iniesta, you know, it's just like those players that, that should have gotten it that didn't end up, end up getting it, but we'll, we'll see. There's always, there's always next season because uh, this season two, uh, Bayern Munich look really good to take the champions league. Yeah. And uh, another player in a position that really never gets uh, recognition for the Blondo or obviously Luka Modric won it a few years back because, Real Madrid won the Champions League and he had a sensational World Cup, uh, is George Zingu, who finished in third. He obviously won the Champions League with Chelsea. He won the Euro with uh, with Italy. He won the UEFA Super Cup. And Chelsea are currently in first place in the EPL. Um, what do you think about his performance over overall? I know he accomplished a lot, obviously winning all those, uh, all those trophies. But do you think he was the go-to guy in all those teams or do you think he was the guy that just tagged along did well and obviously contributed but it, it was he I don't know I guess I guess what I'm trying to get at is he accomplished well he had a good season but should he be recognized within the top three or even potentially uh Bologna or yeah, no, I think he he definitely should be recognized because you know without Jorginho, there's no Champions League for Chelsea, there's no Euro for yep. for Italy. You know he's the the engine of those teams, and he moves in silence. His his effectiveness sometimes goes unnoticed, but he's able to deliver time and time again. Uh, I think that you know rightly so he kind of fell into number three. Um, I think he's had a, a few games where he's come up short on some big opportunities, you know, like we'll talk about in a, in a few minutes with Italy missing out on the world cup and now going into a playoff, you know, he missed, I think, was it uh back to back to back penalties? You know, those things are, are something that, you know, we come to expect Jorginho was a sure shot for a spot kick. You know, it's going to be, you know, instant it's, it's a goal, but uh, with him kind of coming short on those, I think that kind of has uh, jaded his, his image a little bit on the Italian national team. And I think that kind of took away from, you know, him clawing into the top two, maybe even challenging for, for the, for the trophy. Yeah. Uh, you know, the first couple of seasons, Jorginho went to Chelsea. There was a lot of criticism. He was taking a lot of it and saying that he was just a very slow and uh, negative player. But last season he was just absolutely sensational. And I agree a hundred percent. I think he um, definitely deserves to be in the top three. Uh, he, he was one of the best players on all the teams that that um, that he played for, and not too many players have had uh, all the accolades like he had uh, in one season. So he definitely deserved it, in my opinion. And real quickly, before we jump into the next topic, if we were to do a red card report, Ballon d'Or, not France football, but us, Eddie, what would you do? Your top three. Ooh, oh man, this is this is you putting me on the spot. I I'm definitely I'm gonna throw in Mo Salah because he's been incredible and 
as of late, I mean, he's been on fire. The, is the he way number that three? No, no, he's he would be my top three. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna number these guys because <laughs> I think top three it's hard to decipher, you know, and just kind of rank them. But I think Mosala, I think Ungolo Kante is you know another one that that goes unnoticed that doesn't get enough credit, and I'm gonna say. Kevin De Bruyne, that's that's another one, and and I'll and I'll give a shout out to uh, Mason Mount. He's had an incredible season, but I think um, De Bruyne, Conte, and Salah. The difference between them and a Mason Mount is that they've been doing it season after season, been super consistent. Mo Salah, yeah, he's had um, you know a few months, I guess. Uh, a few months back where where he wasn't up to par in his form, but he has not lost a step. He's just been incredible for Jurgen Klopp. Liverpool are just unstoppable, but, but Mo Salah, he's uh, at the top of his game. He keeps reinventing the top of his game, which is what I like to see. Uh, you know, he's unstoppable at the moment. So yeah, I'll go Mo Salah, N'Golo Kante, and uh, Kevin De Bruyne. Wow. It's not even the three from France football. Uh, I'm actually going to stick, if I were to do my top three, I'm going to stick with all three of them, but I'm going to have uh, Messi in third, Jorginho in second, and Lewandowski uh, winning Ballon d'Or. But, I mean, most a lot, I mean, I heard it over and over again from you, man. It seems like he's your your uh, Ballon d'Or winner, and he's a ph- phenomenal player. Liverpool are just flying high right now through through the Champions League, and, you know, they're competing for the, for the EPL once again. So we're going to see how... Next season plays out. Maybe it will be Mo Salah's year. But uh, moving on to the next topic is the World Cup qualifiers. And we're going to obviously focus on the European part. There are 12 teams left, only three spots available. There's three groups of four. Uh, Path A consists of Scotland, Ukraine, Wales, and Austria. Path B, Russia, Poland, Sweden, and the Czech Republic. And Path C is a group of death and somehow these three of these four teams managed to find their way into one group and that's Italy, Portugal, Turkey and uh North Macedonia. Eddie. Uh I guess we're going to have to focus on path C with Italy and Portugal. Only one of those are going to advance into the World Cup next year in Qatar. Uh I guess both teams have a similar journey getting into this situation. And unfortunately only one of them are going to go through. Uh, What say you about all this? Yeah, it's, it's only a result of, you know, kind of their poor, I wouldn't say poor performances, but lackluster performances where they couldn't bring it home, you know, in those, those key games, you know, and it just came down to the last match, at least for Portugal, you know, it came down to the two best teams in the group. You know, and they, and they went to head to head, and you know Serbia. I wouldn't say that that was a fluke win. That was purposeful. They attacked Portugal the whole game. You know their strengths. They have, you know, so many top players. You know, representing from from top clubs. They have uh, Dusan Tadic. They have Milinkovic Savic. I mean, the list goes on, and and Vlahovic as well, who's been in a crazy run of form. So Serbia is is a powerhouse, and I'm happy to see that they're they're making it to the World Cup. You know, it's a prestigious tournament. You know, you have to deserve to be there. So for Portugal making it hard for themselves, you know, I can't say that I'm surprised. But with the team that they have, this shouldn't be a question. This they should have wrapped up that group. They should have won that game. Uh, it should have never been one one, and they they should have been already thinking about you know Qatar next year. Yeah, and um, 
obviously Italy had a similar path. They bottled their last couple of games as well. And now they're forced into this playoff situation that no international team wants to ever go through. Um, What do you think about Italy? Yeah, they had a major downfall, I think, in the last four months after winning the Euro. You know, they proved everybody wrong after lifting that trophy in the summer. Uh, you know, the Roberto Mancini's side, they they were able to beat the likes of Belgium, Spain, and England. And then they also, you know, thrashed Switzerland, which ironically, you know, they weren't even able to beat Switzerland in the uh, in the World Cup qualifiers. They, they drew them twice, 0-0 in Basel and 1-1 in Rome. And these are the games that I was talking about where Jorginho, he missed, uh, you know, a couple penalties. And that's, you know, kind of one of the reasons why Italy failed. And I know that there's there's a few other reasons where we talk about, you know, their, their missed opportunities, their long list of injuries, you know, players missing out and just poor luck. I, I just think it was just a, a, a monotony of just things that went wrong, wrong for Italy. Uh, but this this wasn't the game that made or break it. It was things along the way that happened that ended up getting them here. So now they're in a predicament where you know they're facing not even making it to the World Cup. Uh, same thing with Portugal. So it's it's going to be a very nervy tie. Um, you know, getting to that that final game. You know, getting through uh, Macedonia, making it to the final, and then seeing you know if if Portugal can get through Turkey. You know, it's it's a very uphill climb for both countries. Yeah. So say if by default, Italy and Portugal do go through into the final, Portugal will be at home. Who do you think is going to go through? <laughs> yeah, I think everybody, the the initial instinct is and what they want to say is that Italy will go through because of, you know, their breadth of talent and how young of a team they, they have and their success in in the European tournament. Yeah, and they have a you know a, a great a great coach in Roberto Mancini. He's he's accomplished great things with them. However, with Portugal, they have a golden generation, another golden gen- generation where they have the top players, you know, in in some of the top leagues, and they have you know the greatest of all time, which is Ronaldo. They have you know experienced players. They have the right tools. They have all the right ingredients, but. I don't know about you, Rui, but a lot of people just seem to think that it's Fernando Santos and his decisions, his style of play, his tactics that are holding Portugal back uh, and really kind of keeping them from playing that 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 fast-paced, flourishing, attacking-minded football mm-hmm. while also staying secure on, on, on defense. Um, what is your take on that? Yeah, I mean, uh, first off... I... If they were to play each other, I just I look at it this way: Italy missing two straight World Cups, meaning that they would go twelve years without seeing another World Cup. It's like so hard to see. Um, and then now you're mentioning Fernando Santos, uh, his tactics and his approach and his strategy, game in and game out. Um, obviously, he did a great job in in the Euro, and he had the tools that he wanted. Uh, the certain players ended up pulling <laughs> pulling off the job. Uh, we got lucky a few times, but you know his 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 strategy, his approach, the way he wanted to go into games really pulled, um, really worked uh, in his favor. But we saw time in and time out in the 2018 World Cup was very disappointing. Portugal was were so predictable. Uh, same with the Euro this past summer, and now uh, the difficulty in qualifying in, uh, for the World Cup uh, next year. You know. Um, when I look at Fernando Santos, I look at like this game against 
uh, Serbia. We were lucky to get that goal, the first goal early on, and then immediately he just pumps the brakes and plays defensive football for the remaining 83 minutes or whatever it was. And when you're playing against a team like Serbia, who has experienced players and also young, talented players who are so lethal, they can expose a team like that. And for me personally, sitting back for 83 minutes and you're just with a talented roster like Portugal has, and you're expecting to go into the World Cup, just shows that there's no other alternative. Fernando Santos doesn't have any confidence at all in going in an alternative route, going on a more right. uh, attack-like-minded football um, approach. Because when you have all those players, you give it to any, you give all these players to any other coach. They want to just shove the goals down, um, down the opposition's throat. You don't want to sit back. There's too much talent. There's 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 definitely an alternative to to get the best out of Portugal, and we're not seeing it with him. And also on top of that. Uh, the midfield, he's never able to get the right duo down. And the defense gets either left hanging um, out to dry or the attack is not given what they need from the midfield when they're transitioning on counterattacks or trying to get forward. There's, It's just a giant mess um, with Fernando Santos's, uh, with Fernando Santos's his, his tactics. So, I mean, going into this game, I'm having... I don't know. I, I don't like our chances. And I think yeah. we are on paper uh, a better team. Uh, there's more quality. We're in our golden generation. I think Italy's obviously getting into their golden generation mm -hmm. as well. But it's not about that. Playing as a unit, playing as a team, Italy at its best is by far clear of Portugal at its best under Fernando Santos. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's his approach is way too conservative when it comes to this new style of players, you know, and it, it does create a little bit of unnecessary pressure with matches that should be certain of a result. But like where you're saying, you're kind of playing on the back foot where you're trying to hold a result and you don't want to put your team under the pressure, under pressure for that long of a time. You know what I mean? You want to be able to freely attack, freely go at your opposition because you know what? That takes away the strain from your defense. You're not you know, defending with your backs to the wall for a majority of the game. And I think he needs to understand, like, that his players can't manage that. They shouldn't be in that position. You need to be able to let them run free. You have so many great attack-minded players, so many great creative players that you don't need to do that. It's, right. it's not necessary at all. Yeah, yeah. And you have to put the players in their comfort zone. Um, and I don't think this team's comfort zone collectively is to sit back and play defensive football like we did in 2016. Um, it, it's not, it, it, it doesn't translate well. And with all that potential, and we, we look at the, the type of players that we have, like Diogo Jota, Bernardo Silva, uh, Bruno Fernandes, obviously Chris, Cristiano Ronaldo, and so many other players. Bernardo Sanchez too. He's, he's been, you know, flourishing into an amazing he, player. I, I thought he's just, you know, takes on players. He he opens up so much play, and he over the past few years, I, I think that he's developed into you know a magnificent midfielder yep. with only a bright future ahead of him. And I think he spent the years needed, kind of away from the limelight. You know, playing in France, he got a chance to play in England, and you know that's that's what he needed. And you can see that it's paying off. Yeah, and and I think and I wholeheartedly believe that this system is so unfamiliar to the majority of this team and they're not gelling well. And when you look at 
Bernardo Silva at Manchester City. We look at Pep Ball. We look at Cristiano Ronaldo, where he's been throughout his entire career. He's familiar. Uh, we know exactly what style of football suits him. We look at Diogo Jota when he was at um, at Wolverhampton, a constant press. They, uh, he was very effective on the wings. A lot of positive football. And then now at Liverpool, he's tearing it up, playing a more comfortable and suitable playing style to him. And uh, Bruno Fernandes, we see the impact that, that he has at Manchester United, but we're not seeing it at um, uh, on the Portuguese national team. So a lot of this has to do with how these players just do not adapt well to this system. And this system needs to change if Portugal wants to get the best out of everyone and win games and become a threatening uh, a threatening team. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, with, with everything you just said, you know, when we were talking about this pre-show, you know, a lot of football style, a lot of tactics now are revolved around, you know, having multitudes of presses and that's the new age of the football game. It's that it's faster, it's more aggressive, you know, and it's just way more aggressive in terms of, you know, just attacking in numbers, getting up the field and not having to, you know, sit back and defend. You know, we're seeing it with Liverpool. We're seeing it with Chelsea, Man City. Bayern does a really good job with it. You have the 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 Leipzig, uh, RB Leipzig, um, a lot of the, the the Bundesliga teams do it, and it's part of that new age. And it's like if you can't adapt, you're going to get left behind, you know. And and a manager like Fernando Sanchez, he's really kind of stuck in his ways, like a Jose Mourinho, where they don't want to adapt, they don't want to play, you know, this modern football because you know they 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 are adamant that their system will work. So it will be interesting to see, you know, how how Portugal fare against Turkey because I mean, first and foremost, they must get through the Turks. Uh, I don't think that that'll be much of a challenge, you know, having them been in Holland's group and how Holland kind of dismantled them. Turkey or not, you know, a, a Turkey of the past, their defensive liabilities are, are apparent. Um, you know, Hakan Chalanoglu, yeah, he's been running into, uh, you know, run a good form. Uh, but even that for for Turkey hasn't been that great. So it will be interesting to see. I think that Portugal could could make a meal out of it, could really get out of this this first round, no problem. But it's like what we're focused on is that Italy matchup. How will we how will Portugal match up against Italy and how will they perform against that? Because I think it, it's gonna be a chess match. Uh it's gonna be super important because that that is gonna come down to I think more tactical because Roberto Mancini and Fernando Sanchez very, you know, in that old school style of coaching where you know it, it is conservative but you kind of allow your teams to to attack a little bit yeah. more but i don't know it, it's hard to call and i'm gonna say that you know with the way that ronaldo has been delivering you know he's gonna be that variable that definitive factor that catalyst that's gonna you know make or break the game so i'm gonna go with portugal uh i'm not trying to play favorites here but uh viva portugal <laughs> yeah um I don't know. I can't say, man. I uh, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. I, and you know what? It was funny because we were just celebrating the Euro for for Italy. So you know, I feel bad, you know, going against them. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. For me, if Portugal's gonna go through and beat Italy, it's gonna take some sort of individual brilliance, maybe from yep. Ronaldo, a couple of goals, maybe a hat trick. I think that would definitely do the deal. But. Um, I think that's what it's going to take. I'm not confident at all in Portugal. And uh, I think Italy are going to show up and they have the coach, they have the players, they have the system when it works. 
um, that can be anyone. We saw it in the Euro. So I, I, I've, I'm going to be honest. I think Italy's going to go through if, if they play Portugal. But so that's that. Let's move on to a team in England that we've been talking about a lot this season. Some good, some bad. Recently, it hasn't been great, but maybe there's some positivity coming out because they're coming off a win against Arsenal yesterday, 3-2, to two, and that is Manchester United. Ronaldo scores two and the winner, and both of those goals were goals number 800 and 801 of his career. After the match, Michael Carrick steps down from the Manchester United program and left the club which means Ralph Ragnick is going to or is expected to manage his first match this weekend against Crystal Palace. Eddie, there's a lot there. Oh, what are yeah. your takes? There, there is. And, you know, going back to that Arsenal game, you know, classic Ronaldo, just the stage is set for him at Old Trafford to just go on and deliver yet another memorable performance, you know, just doing the whole Old Trafford, you could hear every time he scores, you could hear it through the streets of Manchester. See, you know, we talk about this every time that, you know, Ronaldo, you know, puts his name's name in the limelight and it's just like no fail. Uh, It it was a scrappy game from, from United, not dominant at all. You could see that there's these glaring, you know, issues with their defense. Uh, But you know what? The the one man show Ronaldo comes through and, and, and is able to deliver, uh, you know, Fred had a wish, wishy-washy game. He was on pretty much all ends of the goal. He had the goal where he stepped on De Gea's ankle, which he <laughs> fell, and then uh, Smith Rowe put in the volley. He had the layoff to Bruno Fernandes uh, to score the first goal, and then uh, did he did he have a what, did he play the ball through no to Ronaldo I'm or was not, that Rashford? I'm not sure, he but he remember. had a hell of a slide tackle that blocked a shot. Yeah, uh, it was so absolutely just, incredible. But it's like he's such a he's such a weak point. I think but that that combination that we talk about is McFred is that they just I mean it's just not there and it's it's lacking for him. But with this new assignment, you know, let's get back on track here. I think with with Ragnick coming on, he's you know one of the the fathers of modern football, German football. Huge challenge for him, you know, He's known for his his uh, you know what we're talking about that high press style of play, his vertical play, play really stretching his teams, and you know he's really going to try to become part of that new legacy that is a, a growing influence in in the Premier League of you know German tacticians, Hergen Klopp, uh, Thomas Tuchel, you know will definitely be be interesting. I was I was watching his his press conference today, and it, it was you know what every fan wants you know seriousness honesty you know laying out your objectives and just you know speaking clearly about what's at stake what's coming next so uh there's high expectations for him and which which i don't blame people to be excited for yeah i mean um what i'm the i like how you mentioned um what like uh his like his favorites um his favorite kind of players that he liked to um, to bring on while he was at RB Leipzig. You know, he liked to he liked to maintain a lot of the German players with their physical, especially on the on the defensive side. But he loved uh, going after young French players who are very athletic, very technical. And when we look at the EPL, it's a very athletic, a very physical, a very and it's starting to become a technical um, league where it's not this. Mm-hmm. 
chasing the long ball um, and long ball first. When you look at the top half of or like the top eight clubs in the EPL, it's a lot more technical. You look at the coaches that are that are foreign and they bring their their own style of game to their clubs. And we're seeing a transformation in in the EPL when it comes to that. And I think what what uh, Ralph Ragnick wants to bring can translate really well uh, mm-hmm. into the league, but also with the players that he has at Manchester United. A lot of young players, very uh, athletic and a lot of physical, physical players. So maybe this is what Manchester United needed, even if they don't have that quality in the midfield, like, you know, with McFred, McTominay and Fred. And whenever Paul Pogba comes back, obviously he'll be essential in, in Ragnick's system. Maybe we'll start seeing some sort of transfer transformation on the defensive end and more uh, efficiency in that midfield. Because I think as as poor and inconsistent as the defense is, Manchester United's midfield needs to step up because a good mm-hmm. midfield can bail out uh, a lackluster defense and it can provide a lot more goals and a lot more in, or a lot more opportunities and can complement well an attack that Manchester United have because they're fully loaded at top they, uh, at at the top. They have multiple wingers that can do the job and they have players on the bench that can fill in as well. So maybe what he wants to bring in uh, or what we've seen at RB Leipzig over the years can translate well and, and save Manchester United season and maybe even push them for a deep run into the Champions League. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, since since Alex Ferguson left the club, you know, I think Man United have have had this struggle of trying to, you know, reestablish their DNA. They've lost a little bit of their identity, and I'd say this time and time again, the last few seasons. But I think the goal now, and it's a clear goal, it's a clear objective that they want to develop that again. You know, these players are young, but they are also experienced. They have a lot of big game experience, despite Ole Gunnar Solskjaer not being able to to lift a trophy. They were still big matches under him. Uh, that a lot of the young players played. Same thing with Jose Mourinho. Um, and Ralph, you know, he admits that the squad level, the, the level of quality is, you know, seriously below the likes of a Man City, the likes of a Liverpool and a Chelsea, which is unfortunate because they have a star-studded cast. But I think their systems is that what makes them even stronger um, because they don't have a lot of liabilities on defense. You know, Chelsea have proven time and time again just with that with that game most recently against Juventus. You know, impressive win against a you know a heavyweight, an Italian heavyweight, to to just humiliate them four nil. That. No, not a lot of clubs can say that they can do that. Same thing with Liverpool. They were in the group of death in Champions League and walk, walked out of there unscathed. So there's not a lot of uh, liabilities on these teams, but Man United, it's very apparent. So I think he's going to try to you know adapt his play system to complement a lot of the player styles, but also the players are going to have to buy into the system. Um and one of the biggest things that he he's going to strive for, and he mentioned it in his his presser, is that Man United need to control games. He sees that they're unable to do so against top teams, and let alone lower lower teams like a like a Watford, where a few yep. weeks ago they got thrashed by Watford. You yep. know that is something that that shouldn't even be happening. So he has his work cut out for him, but there is a clear objective of what he's coming in to do. Um, I know he's only taking a, a six and a half month manager role, and then from there on, 
he will transition into a more advisory position. But you know that is still unclear. Uh, I think that Man United they they do have to have their sights set on a, a on a long term strategy because that's what the way that the that the game is becoming is that you really have to strive for you know the next few seasons, the next ten years, the next couple of decades, so you make sure that you're set. So. Yeah. Um, you know, Man United are just a short shot away from getting into the top three. I thought that they could have been title contenders, but you know, yeah. uh, Chelsea are, are pretty much running away with it. With Man City and Chelsea and um, and Liverpool just trailing. Yeah, yeah. It just seems that every single game that Manchester United plays this year, it's never convincing. All the wins that they have, um, even though they're in seventh place and they don't they don't have as many as they should. But even the games that they won this year, it's never quite convincing. It's never it, – it's always a mountain to climb to win these games. Right. And games that they should that they should come out on top of uh, comfortably, and, and they're not. And so hopefully hopefully for them, Ralph Ragnick is going to fix all that. And I don't know. What do you think? How do you think they're going to finish out the season this year? I think they'll 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 be able to sniff top four, get into top four, and and qualify for Champions League. I think they're on that cusp of you know they've they've dropped a few games, but the season is still salvageable. You know we're only what a third of the way through. Yep. So I, I still think that there's a lot more games to play. There's a lot that they can happen. It's a marathon. So I mean, going into May, who knows what can happen? Well said. Uh, lastly, let's jump into the league that brought me into following football, Liga Nage, oh, yeah. and brought Liga you Nage. into football as well, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. uh, Liga Nage, and it was Derby Day in Lisbon. That means Derby de Lisboa, Sporting on the road, defeat Benfica 3-1 to at Estadio da Luz. Goals from Pablo Sarabia, Paulinho, and Mateus Nunes. Uh, Sporting extend their advantage over Benfica to four points, tied with Porto at the top of the table. Mm-hmm. Eddie, first off, what are your thoughts on this game? First off, Lisbon, Lisboa is green tonight, I'll tell you that. And it's going to be green probably for the rest of the season because the way this Sporting side is playing, it's it's been something that I haven't seen in years. You know, when they're, they, they have a certain swagger about them, they come into games and they are dominant. They're playing matches like they're champions. Uh, even if you go back to the game against Dortmund, where they they sealed their their uh, place in the knockout stage for the Champions League, that was an abundantly dominant performance, and it makes me happy to see that. And now going to Stadio Daluz, uh, first win there, and I think six seasons, and to to win three one. I mean, it should have been three nil, maybe four four nil. Uh, but it, it just speaks on everything that this club has been looking to achieve, you know, relying on their youth. You know, a lot of their, their young players are, are, are just heads and shoulders and just playing like grown men. Uh, Ruben Amorim, our, our manager, has been, you know, imposing a philosophy that has proven to work. Um, and it's not for the lack of trying. You know, it's, it's been quite a time coming. So the game was... It was great to watch. It was end-to-end action. I, I thought, uh, you know, Sporting they con- they controlled most of the match despite Benfica uh, having most of the ball. You know, they were able to to make to make the most out of their chances and and some beautiful some beautiful link up play. Uh, the first goal, uh, Sarabia scoring. You know, the the, the ball from uh, Pedro Gonçalves, unreal unreal yep. finish. Great volley. Uh, almost mimicked. Uh, I don't know if you saw Bernardo Silva's goal. Yep, exactly. uh, the other day. 
same type of goal, beautiful finish, like any any league in the world that's you know a top three goal goal of the week so that right there just you know set us off and then Paulinho had had his uh unfortunately one got called back but he he finally got get one of his and then Mateusz Nunes uh put the the dagger in with the three nil and it's just so it feels so good I can't even tell you how good it feels to just go to Luge and and get that win and stay top of the league stay unbeaten you know sporting has been you know, a thorn in my side for, for a few years, you know, always promising, oh, this is going to be the year. This is going to be the year. And now, you know, we can go into any match with our head he- heads held high, knowing that, you know, we're going to challenge for this, whether it's three points on the line, whether if it's qualification on the line or moving forward to the next phase of, of the competition, whatever it is, we know that, you know, they're, they're going to be able to handle it. And it's, and it's amazing with the youth that we have on our team. We have experienced players as well. You can't deny it. Sporting are in a great phase. And it's also a great phase for, for Portuguese football too. You know, the level of quality in, in Portugal has, you know, gone up the last few years. So it, it's only a testament to, to, you know, great managers, great academies, uh, great facilities, great clubs. You know, it's only, it's only good for Portugal. Yeah. And uh, honestly, Looking at how Sporting play, and I love how you mentioned that Benfica had the majority of the possession, but it just seems like every single time, only 33% possession Sporting had in this game, but it seemed like every every time they got the ball and they got into the second half, they were just so effective and dominant. But every time Benfica um, had the ball for all, all that possession, 67%, and only having three shots on target, Sparthing's defensive solidity in that midfield, um, that is, they are just, they've been doing so well, even without João Palhinha and without Coates, who I thought was the best defender in the league last year in Liga Nosh. You know, even without those two key players that contribute defensively, and obviously João Palhinha in transition, because Sparthing is very much a team that likes to counterattack, and they're very effective um, when they do so. How are they able to just even without two top players that absolutely put Benfica on lock and just play their normal game. Yeah. It's, it's all in that, that system. I think, you know, with our, with our wing backs, you know, we, we sold um, Nuno Mensch early this season. And just like that, we have somebody that can get, that can step right in and, you know, and that's Mateusz Nunes. He made, you know, some huge tackles, Pedro Porto, same thing on, on the other side. You know, just stopping any type of attack, any type of you know freedom that that Benfica had, it was just stopped right then and there. So, you know, I'm grateful for you know some of the signings that we had. Ugarte, you know, he had a he had another good game too, and some of the you know our center backs are really stepping up. Where you know Neto hasn't been that much of a fulcrum, but I think with with uh, being out, I think he's been stepping up. Uh, Inacio has also been great. And and Fidal has also been awesome. So I think all these players, it's like I'm saying, they they're just playing with a chip on their shoulder, and that that does a huge amount for their confidence. It's not just you know what's on the ball; it's about what's in your mind. And you know they're playing like champions, and they're looking to get that back to back. Yeah, and you know it's a long time coming for for Sporting. They had uh, a bizarre spring and summer, and what was it back in 2018 when they yeah. lost all those players? 
um, to basically free transfers that summer. A lot of young players that could have brought in a lot of money to the club and they lost them for basically nothing. Some players left for small transfer fees, but uh, it's a long time coming and they're able to, they've been able to recover from that and they've been playing sensational football. That defense is just, you know, on paper, it's, it's one of the best in Europe and they, they've been doing well in the champions league. They're only, they've only allowed five goals this year in, in Liga Nage in 13 games. And I don't care what kind of defense you have. That's just impressive in any league or at least in any of the top five leagues. So uh, last question, Eddie, your boys and my boys, FC Porto <laughs> are tied at the top of the table. Um, what say you, what, what, how do you think this season's going to end? I mean, it's hard to say, Rui, uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna side with my club as always because the way the way that they've been impressing me, they've been surprising me. Uh, I don't know if I'm just scarred over being disappointing, being disappointed season after season, uh, but they've been pleasantly surprising me, and I think that for a team like Porto, who is very scrappy, Sporting has just enough to to counter that. I think that the next time that we meet, you know, I, I think that our record against Porto is is pretty good. And yeah. now that we have an even strengthened team and a team that is on high morale, high confidence, if we continue this on, I, I will not even bat my eyes when we go to the Dragon. Yeah, I think that game is going to make the, the difference this year. I think Benfica's obviously fallen off the last couple of seasons. Uh, Porto's going to play their normal scrappy style of play, but... You know, when they play well, I love their counterattack. I love their wingers, whether it's um, Jesus Corona, Otavio, uh, Luis Diaz, who's having a sensational year. I'll be surprised if he even stays uh, with the club after this season. Um, you know, Porto's attack is, is, has been dynamite this year, and their defense has been pretty good, not as good as Spartans. Uh, so it, when those two meet, it's going to be a huge, huge chess match. And it's all going to depend on, to me personally, how effective and how solid Spartan's defense is going to be and see if they can frustrate Porto enough where mm-hmm. when they go on the counterattack, they can exploit Porto. But Porto yeah. also needs to have that solidity as well on defense and their high-powered attack has to perform. If not, it's going to be Spartan all day. And, yeah. you know, it's vice versa. It's going to be a chess match in this game. And obviously that's just one game and it's it's going to mean a lot for both clubs because it could be a title deciding match but mm-hmm. throughout the season against everyone else is where the consistency is going to count the most and yeah. who's going to be more consistent so yeah. uh i mean I, you know i i'm really impressed with your team especially in europe how they beat Borussia Dortmund um how they've been playing um in in a competition they haven't played in several years you know, I think I think you guys might have the edge, and I don't. Yeah. You know, I don't want to just be modest, but I, I really think that you guys have the edge. I think you're more consistent and more threatening than uh, than Porto are, because I think Porto is a little bit more uh, predictable, and I think their scrappy way of playing can be um, outmatched by Sporting. Because if Porto gets into, if you end up, if Sporting end up playing Porto's game, it's going to be Porto all day. But I feel yeah. like. Porto rely on that scrappiness a lot and too much to frustrate the uh, the opposition to get uh, the results that they need. But against a team like Sparting, I think you guys, um, I think you guys can get around that and and win. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And I think, you know, has a lot to do with, with Sporting's ball movement. It's very crisp. You know, we're able to get out of uh, tight spaces, a lot of pressure, you know, so for that choppy game that Porto is going to bring, uh, I think we're, we're able to counteract that um, with our playing style. So that game is on February 13th. So let's get ready, Rui. We're going to do an episode on that match. Oh, man, it's gonna another <laughs> Derby the Red Card. Oh, red yeah, card report. Yeah. Oh, so Sporting in Porto, February 13th. Everyone, mark that on your calendar. It's going to be a good one. P- Portugal, Liga Nós is a top five league in the world, according to UEFA coefficients. So it's definitely worth watching. That's and right. when the two when two of the, the top three clubs are playing each other, it's always an exciting game. It's always uh, good quality football. So uh, I recommend everyone to watch that game. And Eddie, I think that's it, man. You have any last words? No, that's it. Another great episode, Rui. It's always great kicking it with you. You know, the red card report, nine-tenths of the red card report, Eddie and Ruizinho, since without without uh, unemployed uh, JJ Cool Juventino Joe, I think it, this was another 10 out of 10 episode. Yeah, I have to say jobless Joe in the Joe. mud. Jobless Joe. All right, unemployment is calling right now. <laughs> All right, so that's going to do it, guys. Thank you all for tuning in. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at RCR underscore uh, podcast. And if you have any anything that you want to ask us, topics to cover, or if there's anything that we should work on, give us a shout-out on Twitter, and we'll see you next time. That's astonishing. It's-